This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Jody Pulaski to the show. Dr. Jody is a practicing psychotherapist and a neuroscientist at the University of Rennes 1 in France. She's conducted over 15 years of research on the neuroscience of motherhood and speaks regularly about the effects of motherhood on the maternal brain. She also hosts her own podcast on the neuroscience of parenting called Mommy Brain Revisited. During this episode, we will discuss mom brain, the physical changes that occur in the mother's brain during pregnancy and postpartum, and tips for dealing with brain fog. As a mom of three boys, I can totally relate to the forgetfulness and brain fog that sets in during those early postpartum days. And by tuning into this episode, I know that you'll gain some great insight into your brain, how it changes, and ways to care for it. Grab a tea or strap your kiddos into the stroller, whatever you've got going on, and get ready to dive into my conversation with Dr. Jody. Before jumping in, let's hear the iTunes review of the week. This review comes from J. Bree Rao, and it is entitled Hope. I was previously viewing the postpartum period and life with toddlers as a stage to endure. When expressing my frustrations with motherhood, it seemed that all I would hear were comments like, it only gets harder, or I'm so glad I'm done with that. Listening to this podcast makes me feel hopeful that I can learn to embrace and enjoy this time of my life. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for sharing this with us and leaving a review. The fact that this podcast gives you hope means that I'm doing something right. I show up in this space for you all so that you know you are not alone in your struggles that we can struggle in motherhood and also enjoy motherhood. So thank you again for leaving this review. And for those of you who have asked how you can support the podcast, being that it is a free resource, leaving a review in iTunes, sharing episodes with your friends, getting the word out is the greatest form of support that you can offer me. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Jody, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I've been just like gathering all my little tidbits of questions I have for you. I know we're probably only going to skim the surface today because it's so much. So no pressure. I know it's a lot, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to talk all things uh, neuroscience and motherhood. So here we go. 
Here we go. I know it's so funny. I'm like scrolling your Instagram page and this is the part of me that like I'm very therapist people oriented, but the certainty in me and the scientist in me loves to see the work that you're doing and like analyzing pieces of the brain. And there's so many really fascinating things that you do. And we also had neuroanatomist Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, I believe is her full name on a couple of weeks ago. So we're kind of just in this space of exploring the brain and the impacts of sleep on the brain and the impacts of motherhood on the brain. And so I feel that it's really empowering to understand our biology and our anatomy so that we know what we can do and what we can't do and what what is our responsibility or what is our fault as we carry like a lot of fault and guilt as moms and what is, you know, our biology and what we can do about that. So very fascinating and interested to get into our topic today. I'm curious, though, how did you come to study the brain and motherhood together? How does one find their way into that sort of niche and specialty? Yeah, that's a good question. I grew up on a small farm in the Okanagan, and we had lots of animals in the spring. And I was always curious about the mom and babies, you know, baby chicks and things like that. I actually had rabbits that I raised. So that's a little hidden tidbit about me. But I was interested in this parenting relationship. And then as I went to university and I did biopsychology, which is a study of the biology of psychology, essentially, then I started to think and about this in more detail, about parenting, hormones, the brain, and how these different factors are all intertwined. And that's when I ended up, for my master's, really finding someone. I really wanted to do something on parenting and hormones in particular, and how it affected the brain. Because I had done some work on language development and parenting in my undergrad, and I thought that it was really cool how parents help kids develop. And so I was fortunate to find a master's position looking at motherhood, the brain, and memory with Dr. Lisa Galea. And I went on to do my PhD on the same topic. So that's kind of where I'm at, where I started my research career, but it really came back to growing up with all these experiences and being really curious about how things worked, how parents worked, how that relationship worked between mom and baby. I love the endless curiosity that comes, I feel like, with science or people who I meet and interview that just have such a thirst for knowledge and understanding. And I feel like it's funny how my skills are translated into podcasting, but I find I get to explore that curiosity in all these little places as I interview new people. And I really enjoy gleaming like little tidbits from everybody as well. So when it comes to motherhood and the brain, there is a lot of talk about mum brain or what we can also maybe differentiate that from like fogginess and if they're the same or different. But I've heard how motherhood changes the brain. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is a place to start here in terms of maybe some of the fundamental things that are happening with our brain as we're maybe pregnant and postpartum because you said like hormones I know are going through differences and they're changing things in the brain as well. So maybe we can do a little bit of an introduction on those topics. So, you know, I started in this area looking at memory and motherhood because I think that when we talk about motherhood and the brain, it's memory. It's this mom brain that we talk about. 
Like forgetfulness and the like, forgetfulness, the fogginess, the confusion. And yes. there's, you know, 80% of women, it's been studied, 80% of women will say that they feel that they've had forgetfulness and fogginess and lack of uh, concentration during late pregnancy and the early postpartum period. Mm. And I think, and we'll get, we can get back to that. But, you know, one thing as I've been in this field for a while, and I, I often talk about a lot of other people's research in this field. One thing we don't talk about is actually how amazing the brain is during pregnancy and the postpartum and all the things that are going on in a mom's brain to prepare her to be a parent. Yeah. And I think this is the missing kind of, this is where I would like mom brain to be reframed so we can actually think of those positives and not necessarily the negatives. But I'm going to touch on, we can talk about mom brain, classic mom brain in a minute. Okay. But in terms of like, the neurobiology, what's really great, well, what's really fascinating, I don't know, there's so many things super cool about it, but basically is this. We know that during pregnancy, there are changes in the brain. And it's only been the past 20 years that we've seen this in humans with imaging work, being able to look at the brain changes in activity and changes in size. So in fact, we see if we look at these changes or changes in size in different areas and activity, we are seeing that across pregnancy, there's a decrease in some of these brain areas in size. But in the early postpartum period, there's an increase in activity, for for example. So those two things are different. Size does not dictate activity. Okay. But often when we see this research where they've said, oh, there's a decrease in brain size, then my brain isn't working as well. But in fact, that decrease in brain volume or the volume of different areas of the brain, which was research done by Alcelina Hugzima and colleagues in 2017, that was actually correlated with or associated with maternal feelings of attachment with her offspring. So in fact, I like to think of this as a fine tuning. So the brain is becoming more efficient, making better connections using what it has. And really the research I did before this human research was in rodent models. And I looked at mom's brain, specifically one area, the hippocampus, which is important for stress regulation. It's important for learning and memory. And I actually found that there's fewer new neurons being produced in that area of the brain in early pregnancy and motherhood. So there's another decrease there. But again, there's a fine tuning I like to think of. Like I think that we're also showing a lot in this literature that there's this idea of fine tuning across pregnancy and the postpartum so that the brain can learn to do what it needs to do to respond in response to the offspring. Mm -hmm. So in addition, like 40 years of research really in rodent models has characterized a maternal neuro network. So essentially, and we see it in fathers as well. This network is really a host of different brain areas like the amygdala, like the nucleus accumbens, the prefrontal cortex, that work together to coordinate response and care for the offspring. So there's many levels of changes. Mm -hmm. We also see changes in hormones, of course, and neurotransmitters. So yeah, I mean, I could probably talk for an hour or more about the intricacies of that. But basically, there's lots of changes. It's maybe the most plastic time in your adult life, like the most your brain can be like Play-Doh and be reshaped or reformed to some degree and the connections be remade. But I also feel, and from what we're seeing, that these connections, 
that are also there are becoming efficient. And then these different areas are working together to coordinate behavior and memory for how to behave and to your offspring uh, as well. So it's quite complicated, but it's also really cool if you think about it, because there's this huge preparation. It's super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm picturing it. I don't know. I often think in pictures. And as you're describing it, it's kind of like this new circuitry, this new sort of not level of our brain, but like this new kind of thing coming online and forming itself, this new network yeah, kind of yeah. circuitry, as you had said, which is fascinating and how the role of a parent would pull on, like you said, so many different areas Mm -hmm. of the brain in order to bring that circuit or that network online, right? Yeah. You hear in research or I feel like headlines in media, which probably doesn't really give justice to a lot of these things, is like motherhood physically changes the makeup of our brain. And like, is that some of the pieces that we're talking yeah, about that's, here, right? Yeah, I mean, but, and this is the thing sometimes <laughs> I get so tired of seeing those pictures of pregnant women without a head because we see these diagrams of how the uterus and the fetus is growing across pregnancy and then postpartum. So we see the body, but we actually rarely see the head. And I think, okay, yeah, we can't see visually the brain changing, for example, but there's definitely brain changes, like there's changes with other parts of your body and cardiovascular changes we never talk about, which I just learned recently about, like a huge, your heart, like, grows the one side 35 percent enlargement i had no idea what? i don't know if i would have had kids if i knew all these things <laughs> like <laughs> how did i survive <laughs> but there's lots of physical changes that go on in our bodies our brains that i don't think we talk enough about outside of is the baby okay right So, yeah. And like, it's such an important piece because then you'll hear like, oh, you hear this sort of maybe inflammatory media statement, like there's changes in our brain. And then it's like, are those permanent? Is that negative? Is that what does that mean for me? Right. And what you're saying is a lot of these changes are to bring this network or this circuitry online and they actually can make us more efficient in parenting. Yeah. More efficient in parenting, but actually it's just actually supposed to that's how we work. Like we're supposed to have this network come online so we can respond to our baby. We can care for our baby. We can quickly learn, oh yeah, last time we did that, they didn't like that, you know? I mean, for me, I think everything is geared towards learning to parent, especially as a birthing parent, but also as a non-birthing parent, you're not as primed maybe, but you can learn and your brain will change as well. But as a birthing parent, there's those hormones and things primed to respond to that baby so that you can very quickly learn what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So there's a drive, a need. So if you see, I mean, I have sheep and I had one give birth. I have just a few of these sheep. (laughs) Anyway, I was there for the birth. And it was incredible to see the cues I think we don't pick up on and we don't know we see, but the vocalizations, the sniffing, the smells, the touch. I mean, we do these to some degree as humans, but you see them maybe more readily if you watch animals give birth or watch those early interactions. So, but they're all things we're doing, but we don't actually think about it because we're primed to do it. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And one of the things that I'm thinking about that I've come to learn more about, but there still are a lot of sort of gaps in my knowledge, 
are about the impacts of our hormones during this time and then also on our mood. Because when we're talking maternal mental health, which is my specialty and sort of the niche within where I live, you know, we're talking fluctuations in hormone, increased risk of anxiety, depression, other mental health challenges during that time, higher risk time. And I had a question for a reproductive psychiatrist that I was interviewing, like, is this like top down where our hormones impact our brain and therefore we experience these changes or like what role, I guess, do hormones play is my question. Yeah. So in terms of our brain changes specifically, I don't think we know exactly which comes first. Yes. The hormones or the brain, but clearly there's a coordination of a lot of different factors. So you have hormones, changes in neurotransmitters. And, you know, I would have to say, of course, with the placenta, it's pumping out hormones. So maybe that is the driving force to some of those brain changes. But we haven't quite figured out exactly what's going on, the mechanisms behind a lot of the changes and how some of them are even resulting in in different behaviors as well. So we have a lot to learn. What I always like moms to know, though, is that it's okay, like your brain is changing. So maybe you're going to feel a little bit off. But if it's really consistent that you're feeling emotionally not well, then that's a problem, like you said. Yeah. But then on the other hand, when it comes to mental illness, which is an area I've done a lot of research in, in animal models, especially with antidepressant medications, which I think are incredibly valuable and mm-hmm. and effective if they are effective for you. So I'm definitely pro-medication and therapy as well. The combination is great. But, you know, when it comes to that, there's this idea which has been around for 2,000 years or more that hormones and your brain are you know, key players in your mental health as mothers. So we've talked about this. It's Hippocrates who first documented it, at least in the Western world, saying that there's something about the discharge, like when you give birth and how that can affect your brain, that must be why there's postpartum mental illness. Mm. And now we're in 2021 and we actually still don't know the link. So, and like we're just starting to dedicate slivers of science to research maternal mental health, which, yes, don't even get me started, yes. right? But it's yeah. like it's happening, but it's been a long time coming. And I feel like because this connection to hormones and mood, hormones and mental health has been such sort of like this like demonized thing in culture or like this mm-hmm. stereotypical thing that a lot of clients that I work with want to resist that there's any connection because it's often used in like a derogatory like, Mm. oh, you're just like hormonal, you're just whatever kind of a way. But again, it comes back to me like when we, for me, when we understand our biology and understands like the cyclical nature of our hormones or that our hormones is meant to have an impact on our brain for this time of baby entering the world and stuff. It There is just an empowering feeling that comes with understanding mm-hmm. uh, as much as we can possibly right now, right? Yeah, and I think that's where hormones, like hormones do get bad, you know, uh, there's a lot of negative connotation around hormones. And I think we don't understand or we don't talk enough about how important they are, of course. And for me, one hormone I work a lot with is cortisol or corticosterone in rodents. It's part of our stress reactivity system. And we always think, ooh, Mm. if cortisol is high, then that's bad because that means you're stressed out. 
But in fact, in childbirth and, and in motherhood and maternal care, we know that cortisol is really important and not as like a stressor, but actually not as a, like we classically think as a negative thing, but it's really important. It's more important for milk production. If you're lactating, it's important for uh, maternal memory, memory of how to care for your offspring. It's a Im- really important hormone that has a lot of positive roles. And of course, response to stress is important and positive, but if it's chronic stress or if cortisol you know, is dysregulated for a long period of time, that's one idea behind mental illness and motherhood as well. But it has a whole role that's important, mm-hmm. important for motherhood. Right. And even for like our circadian rhythm and our sleep and things like that, doesn't cortisol also play into all different pieces of that? So it's like an essential hormone in our daily sleep-wake cycles and our functioning. Yet again, we hear like, I guess, maybe headlines about or or we internalize one sort of singular idea about cortisol Mm -hmm. and think that it's, you know, toxic in, in some way. Yeah. So... This is really interesting and fascinating. And one of the things that, like this mom brain and this shaping of our brain and how our brain is changing. And then there's also maybe like a fogginess in the postpartum stage. Yeah. And I want to unpack fogginess a little bit. And maybe we can even try and tease it out from postpartum depression and how one might know what fogginess is. And if there's things that we can do to help with that fogginess so we can differentiate what might be postpartum depression and we can spend a bit of time there. Okay. So I think right before we get into that, I want to go back to just defining mom brain and this memory. Okay kind of thing that moms talk about and just a little bit of the science because we know lots of moms will experience kind of or they'll say they'll talk about this experience of memory of being poor of brain fog increased forgetfulness can't find words for things finished sentences and so there's been a bit of research on this and one thing that has been really found from the research is that yes there are memory changes but they're not maybe as significant as we often talk about at least from the studies that have been done in the lab so far so so that's one thing is that we don't really know the details or the extent of these memory changes like scientifically so it's not like all your memory for everything and when talking about brain fog i mean i don't think we've actually defined that well, at least from the literature I know around pregnancy in the postpartum period in terms of science and how to figure that out. What does that mean and why is that happening? So that's to give you some context is in most people who, from the research, most moms who say they have memory issues, yeah, you have memory issues, but are you able to function right. mostly normally? Yeah, for sure. So I think that's something to remember. But the brain fog, it's like living in the cloud, right? I mean, where you can't, just things are not uh, coming together as clearly. You're not thinking as quickly. Right. It's almost more of like a sluggishness in the, it's kind of like, I don't know, slowed down, foggy. Yeah. Sometimes it's related to mood. Sometimes it's not. And I mean, exhaustion and sleep deprivation, I'm sure might play a role. And maybe there's something to be added there because we know like how much sleep impacts the brain as well and also mood and hormones and lots of different things. But yeah, when we're thinking fogginess, it's, it's more like that sluggish, can't really access information, can't really focus. Would that be still under this 
mom brain umbrella, would you say? Yeah, I, you know, I think people put it under the mom brain umbrella, but then again, but parsing it out. Yeah, like you said, why is it happening? What do we know about it? This, from a scientific perspective, I don't think we know so much Mm. at all. But I'm going to say, you know, we do know some things about memory, let's say, because some of that brain fog is going to be related to how you're processing information, right? You're feeling slower, it's heavier, it's harder to think straight. So one thing that comes to mind when talking about that is this idea that there's different components that are important, right? So attention, how much attention we're paying to things, what we're paying attention to, that's going to probably help to put things together, memory together, or to think clearly. So what's important and really how busy are we? How many things do we have on the go? How much is our brain being stressed or taxed? And then like you mentioned, sleep, like sleep and just energy in terms of like, have we been able to get a bit of sleep and how much is that impacting us? What about nutrition? We know exercise, like all these things are good for our brain health. Mm -hmm. But when I think of this mom brain and the brain fog idea, I'm thinking like often that there's, for me, I see sometimes there's a tons of things that are going on. So there's a cognitive overload Mm -hmm. and after so much cognitive overload, things are going to fire less. <laughs> I'm saying firing. Like your neurons are not going to be working as much. So yeah, this is one idea. This actually comes out when talking specifically about memory and motherhood from the research is that the cognitive overload is a component that can be contributing. So how many things do we have going on? And like, how can you think straight when you have so many things on the go? Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. 
pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. It's so interesting to me because I'm like making a couple connections in my mind here. One of the most common things I talk about on my page is the invisible load of motherhood, right? This overwhelming, invisible amount of responsibility that we carry as parents that starts from maybe even when you're trying to conceive, depending on where your fertility journey is at, to when you're pregnant, to just really you think there's going to be relief when this little healthy baby makes it into the world. And then you find you're like more stressed about keeping them alive. And the overwhelm, I think particularly, I think to um, back to the interview that I did with Dr. Jill Taylor, where we live in this very like logical, cognitive thinking, rationalizing part of our brain a lot of the time and overwhelm and kind of tax out all of that not tax it out, but like really, you know, overwhelm, like you're saying, yeah, this area of our brain. And she described it as like you're burning energy in your brain and not ever giving it time to rest and moving into other parts of your brain that are like more creative or more in nature and gratitude Mm. and like stepping out of that really intense like cognitive energy pull on your brain. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a feeling that a lot of moms will really relate to is that There are how many tabs open in my brain at any given time as a mom. Like I was joking with you before I logged on here, I was like down to the wire for our interview because I have a remote learner who called me up on my old game of Uno before I was coming into my interview. We're closing on the sale of a house today and we're dealing with lawyers and getting keys and insurers and banks. And it's just like, there's probably 50 tabs sitting there for when this interview is done, you know? Yeah. And that is a very different load cognitively that we carry than when I was an individual autonomous adult that wasn't tethered to the care tasks of other three little humans. 
right? Yeah. Just like speaking in terms of, yeah, like the responsibility and the tasks, even the volume of cognitive tasks that go with keeping three dependents, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, there's the I shoulds, right? As moms, like, oh my gosh, what about like, but I should be able to do all this and I have to do all this. And, but they did that when the baby was like, two days old they were you know like there's all this comparison and this shooting and I think we just are like load it on and then at some point your brain's like hi yeah I can't do it anymore yeah you know because there's a certain amount that we can take and I think that that's part of where the you know fogginess can come from but I also gonna say like I mean, maybe it's hormonal I don't know maybe it's really sleep deprived maybe there's just something with nutrition. Some people really struggle with anemia, for example, and they don't know postpartum. And, mm. you know, maybe it's thyroid. Like there's a lot of different things, not, not components. To, yeah. Different components that work together to make us function as healthy adults. But I think the business factor can be wear and tear on our system. It's a constant bit of stress. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where we have to take care to figure out what we need as mothers and how can we get some of those needs met and really own our motherhood. My way of mothering is not how you mother, but just like Mm -hmm. be okay with that. We're not Mm going to accomplish the same things the same ways. Yeah. When we think about mom brain or like fogginess or like I'm reframing mom brain in my mind to be this really like efficient circuitry that I can appreciate, right? Like, and I'm hearing that and I hope that we take that away from this episode that like our brain does amazing things for us to keep ourselves safe and these little human beings safe. And then with that, sometimes can come this fogginess or can come this like sluggishness. And what might be some things that we can do? You named a couple of pieces like nutrition and movement and maybe some lifestyle changes. Usually when I work with clients, we start with first, what are some of the lifestyle changes that we can do? And then if that's not moving the needle on the fogginess or our mood or some of the things, then we, you know, head to the next level of like, let's go do our blood panel with our doctor and have a conversation and maybe try medication or whatever. But what do we know about some of the lifestyle things that can help to care for our brain in this time? Yeah. So like you hit on some of those lifestyle things, right? The sleep, nutrition, uh, movement, like, and I don't mean exercise, like no running a marathon, but actually did you go outside today and like, Mm. you know, get, get a little bit of sunlight. I mean, even sunlight itself and getting outside the vitamin D can be beneficial. I do know something that was interesting because I listened to an audio book about brain fog. Oh, I can't remember what it was called now. And it was not in the context of motherhood. Yeah. But one thing they talked about was actually social interaction. So I think Mm. in the context of motherhood or parenting, when was the last time you were out with some friends, just even for coffee without the kids maybe? So kind of, and for me, that would be something that would be also really healthy, right? Like we're social beings and being with our babies all the time can be really lovely, but also remembering, you know, to communicate with other adults or do some fun things for ourselves can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I took away from that book. They also talked about, you know, those key components, nutrition, sleep, whatever. But also I think trying to simplify our days, maybe, 
and simplify our expectations could be helpful. Yeah. I mean, I'm speculating here because there's no research on this, unfortunately. Right, right. Like, so really delving into how can we improve things, but like, we don't know. But, you know, I talked to a sleep specialist as well recently, and going to bed earlier is actually really helpful. Not napping during the day, not sleeping when the baby sleeps, but actually going to bed earlier because that's when you're getting better sleep. So if you can go to bed at nine, even though baby wakes up at 11, that's still two hours of sleep you're getting during a good sleep time Mm. instead of waiting till 11 to go to bed. So she talked about, it's Dr. Katie Sharkey, and she talked about some research she's done is showing that it's really, yeah, going to bed early is more beneficial, getting up early. And then if you're not a napper, don't nap then. Mm -hmm. Just go to sleep earlier in the day. And that can be really protective against um, mental health struggles in the postpartum. And it actually can be beneficial for breastfeeding as well. Her research has recently shown. Fascinating. So I interviewed her on my podcast and uh, a while ago, and we talked about this. And it was fascinating for me because I don't do sleep research, but it's incredibly valuable. Of course, it's valuable. We all know it. We take it for granted as well. Mm-hmm. But so I'm wondering with the brain fog, like what if going to bed earlier and getting up, so going nine to six, you know, having kind of your night nine to six, nine to seven, like how would that affect you? Would that be better? Would your brain feel clearer? Yeah. Routine, 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 right? Having some structure in your day, keeping those night times, you know, at the same time, your wake up times about the same time. Like just kind of keeping some structure can be really beneficial and healthy as mm-hmm. well um, for your whole body, but it might help with that brain fog. Yeah. And I think like you're saying, there is lots of research on like the impacts of sleep on the brain, but in other areas, not particularly related to mom fog, right? So we do know like, like movement for your brain, nutrition for your brain in other areas, but we're not specialists in those areas. And there's none specifically on brain fog. But another thing that I think about is the use of like caffeine and or like alcohol. And I don't know, I feel the need to mention this because this is such a thing when it comes to like mommy culture and wine culture and like memes we see and whatnot. But like caffeine and our sleep and like trying to understand the impacts of caffeine on our anxiety, on our body, when we should cut it off, when we should get to sleep. Maybe there's parts that you can speak to there, but I think that that is really important as I drink my second cup to try and jumpstart my brain here this morning. (laughs) So I'm... And as I I crave a cup right now, but it's okay. I'll move to wine later uh, because I'm six hours ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then also like wine and it's like sluggishness, um, depending on how much we drink and the sort of like kickback of anxiety that we can feel from that. Mm. And so as sort of, a, again, this is just my own lifestyle changes and things that I do with clients in therapy. But if I'm really struggling with brain fog and really wondering, you know, sometimes this is what anxiety does to us. You like have a week where you're off or brain fog and anxiety is like, what is wrong? Like <laughs> pay attention, take care of yourself. 
And so things like reducing the amount of caffeine that you take in, which all new moms with babies that have been up four or five times, you know, drink your caffeine. It's not a rule. It's just, you know, if you're fearing anxiety or if it's impacting you in some negative way where it's preventing you from getting sleep, regulating caffeine. Yeah. Okay. So caffeine, those are two good points, caffeine and alcohol. So I'll start with the alcohol. Alcohol might help you fall asleep and might make you feel a bit relaxed, but it makes your sleep worse. We know this. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. We haven't studied it in parents, but that's universal. It will make your sleep worse. It's a known fact. Hmm. Although it's tricky because you fall asleep easier often. Right. Um, But also it depletes your body, right? Like it does not have an impact on your B vitamins. I feel like alcohol, I'm not a nutritionist or specialist, but I know that there's a B vitamin issue and maybe that's more with beer. But there's some depletion sometimes of essential nutrients and B vitamins can be or often talked about as important for helping us regulate our stress. Mm-hmm. So, and energy and yeah. Y- yeah, lots of things. So so alcohol, yeah, for sure, alcohol once in a while, lovely. But if it's something routinely that's happening to help you fall asleep, then it's probably not healthy. And then, you know, if you're not sleeping very well, anxiety, hello, here it comes, right? It's often a a factor. Yeah. But then it's, you know, anxiety is a, well, that's a whole other topic, which I'm not a specialist in, but I know some things about, but, you know, it can be a vicious cycle if you need alcohol to stop your worries, to help you fall asleep, but then... Then you can't get any sleep and then your brain doesn't get the rest it needs and then... Yeah. 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 So a little bit here and there. Everything in moderation is great, but, you know, keep it to that. And if you're using alcohol to fall asleep and even medication to fall asleep, in fact, doesn't always give you the best night's sleep either. So there's um, an author who wrote, what's his name? Mark. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not remembering names. Why We Sleep, it's the book. Mm. And if you look it up and look, he has like, he's a specialist on sleep. And he in the book, he talks about ways to improve sleep outside of medication use, for example. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is caffeine. So caffeine, super, we all need something in the morning. Not all of us, but lots of us like it. That's great. My husband is one of those like... <laughs> freaks of nature. He's going to listen to this and be like, what? <laughs> I'm a freak of nature. He's just one of those people that does not drink any caffeine at all. Oh, and super. that's great for him. And I'm like, how? I The first thing I do is pour my cup of coffee in the morning. So there are some people who, you know, don't drink caffeine. I'm sure there are lots of people. But for me, I love to drink my coffee in the morning. But I also know that if I have it past 3 p.m., my anxiety will have me staring at the roof all night long if I don't have a, if I don't moderate the intake that I have. Yeah. So I'm a tea person, but I've been doing a tea and then a coffee. And then I've been like, oh my goodness, to my husband, like, and he's like, and then I'll be like, I'm so worried about whatever. Like, do you think that's really going to happen? He's like, oh, I don't think so. How much been drinking today? Right. I'm like, don't tell me it's the caffeine. I'm going to make another one right now because I feel like I need some more. So um, yeah, there's like a link between this caffeine, too much caffeine and getting the jitters, getting anxiety, getting going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so knowing your limits is a good idea in terms of sleep. Yes. Stopping it probably earlier. I don't know the half-life of caffeine, but it definitely impacts your sleep. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. It's, there's, 
you know, it affects certain um, receptors in your brain that are important for sleeping. So, I mean, cutting it off early, maybe no caffeine afternoon or something without caffeine at your, you know, four o'clock or something, if you do a tea at that time or whatever, would be beneficial. I mean, these are subtle lifestyle changes that can have a big impact, I think. Yeah. And I used an example. I had a really big live event coming up. I think it was last month now. And leading up to that live event, there was like all kinds of things for the particular event itself and uh, like thousands of people going to be attending this event. And I had a full week of clients and I had deadlines for all of these other things. And I was like, I just can't afford fogginess right now like this. I got I have to perform this week and I need to do what I can that is within my control to contribute to that. And sometimes it looks less extreme than that. And it's like in motherhood and we're like, we need to survive this day with this infant today, right? Like yeah. it can look less yeah. extreme than than my week just looked. Uh, there were days on mat leave where I'm like, I just need to get through this day without losing my crap because I'm so exhausted and these kids won't stop screaming. Uh, and if that's more what we need to take care of ourselves for, that's probably more relatable than the other examples I just gave. And I went into, okay, like my caffeine regime is going to look like my coffee in the morning and my coffee in the afternoon and then cut off for coffee. And I'm not going to have my white claw or my glass of wine in the evening because I know there it comes with a little bit of fogginess maybe in the morning when I need to create or be on task or even like a little like more cheerful in the morning when I wake up with the kids and less kind of like, ugh, it's already 6 a.m. or whatever. So like subtle things like that in my routine actually really had a significant impact for me seeing through that week. And is that something that I want to dedicate myself to and like never have my wine in the evenings? Well, no, if there's a morning where I don't have to be so maybe creatively or intellectually on in the morning, and I have the freedom to, you know, kind of like mosey around, then it's not such a big deal. But on moments where I feel like I'm trying to really keep my head above water, Mm -hmm. and I think that we can feel that a lot in motherhood, right? Like we're just, we're in a phase where maybe baby's teething, and we're up a lot, and it's feeling a lot harder, and we're feeling like we really have to consciously put effort into surviving today, rather than it feeling like it's coming more naturally. And those moments, there are some of these things that we can be trying that seem subtle, but do really have an impact on how we feel. Yeah. And I would add to that, like getting outside in the morning. Mm. So in fact, with that sleep research I talked about, going to bed early, but waking up in the morning. So keeping a routine, kind of a schedule, like not super strict, but kind of a schedule, but also light in the morning. So turn on the lights in the morning and to get your day going. And by going outside, outside can be great because even if it's cloudy outside, except for if it's raining and horrible, but if it's even cloudy, you're getting a lot more lumens, like that healthy intensity of light, even just from a cloudy day, than you'd get from a lamp in your house. So, and those things can help to get your circadian rhythm going and start your day. But like you said, these are small things. And I think sometimes we forget that these small things actually have a big impact over time. Mm-hmm. And even even within the, the day, right? You can, you can start to feel the difference. And I think that because when we're in these moments where we feel like we're trying to survive, they feel so all-encompassing that like, 
creating a sleep hygiene routine does not sound like it could possibly be the answer, you know, because surviving hard days in motherhood is like we've been there, you know? Yeah, it's just survival. So do what you need to do. Right, right. And this is sort of inspiring me to do a whole different sleep hygiene sort Mm -hmm. of episode and what that could look like because I know that rest and sleep can sometimes be a really touchy topic depending on where we are postpartum and what that's looking like, like what things we can be doing, how we can plan for sleep, what that can look like, and maybe just understanding some of the biologies of why and how sleep is most effective, things like that. Yeah, and it really starts in pregnancy. So the research is showing it really starts sleep hygiene and pregnancy. This myth or this idea that, oh, your sleep is bad in pregnancy to prepare you for postpartum is according to the scientist I talked to who's expert in this area. And she's like, that's a myth. That's not true. It's just not true. Interesting. And so, yeah, it was fascinating to talk to her. I mean, it's something we don't know, though, and we don't talk about. And so I think the more we can start talking about sleep hygiene essentially your sleep in pregnancy and postpartum and get the message out there because I think lots of people are doing it wrong because we don't know. And then it's also a really hard thing to talk about because it's a very touchy issue if we're not getting sleep. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, it's just a touchy topic, it feels like. Yeah, and it's not even, I think I come at it from the like, okay, so here are the facts. So if you can try to sort this out for yourself, that might be helpful. I mean, of course, there's people that nap and they're nappers. And so this kind of research she's talking about might not be for someone who naps, right. you know, like the, the routine she's talking about. And yeah, sleep is a touchy issue. And yet, like, yeah, I, how am I supposed to go to bed early? Like, I have to do a thousand things. How am I supposed to sleep? The baby's up every two hours. I mean, so, and who's right. going to help me, like, is another question. And so that becomes, exactly. it's the support factor. And it's a lot of, like, I'm supposed to do 500 things and I'm doing them all wrong. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I think that it is a, an important topic, but it's also, yeah, like you said, it's a touchy topic, just like exercise, nutrition, everything. It's just, so I always think baby steps. Yeah. So here's some ideas. And if you can incorporate even a little bit of one of them, like, okay, get up in the morning and turn on the lights. Just make sure all the lights are on. Maybe that's just going to help you. That's easy, right? Or, right. you know, it's just like, here's some ideas. Think about it and see if you could try maybe one little thing. Like, what would you think would work for you? Like, realistically, yeah. What is that one baby step you can take? And I think that in this, in new motherhood, in this, like, really pervasive, you know, perfect mom myth where we really feel that we have to be and do it all and do it perfectly. And there's sort of this hypervigilance about doing everything right. And it's a really challenging time and transition. But I completely agree. Like, what is one small thing that maybe you can commit to or experiment with to see if it has an impact on your brain fog? Like for me, it was like, I'm going to cut out white claws or a glass of wine and try and go to sleep instead of watch Housewives until (laughs) 1 a.m. or whatever silliness I was doing. That felt good. Sometimes I do that because it's like, this is when I get my free time and I want to watch my shows and sometimes that works. And then other times 
if it's having a drain on the opposite end where there's actually a term for it, like sleep revenge procrastination, where like we, our whole day is filled up with like other tasks of what other people have, you know, required from us. So then we stay up to have our own time and, yeah. and it, but it can feed into this cycle, right? So picking one small thing that you can try and commit to and starting there. Yeah. And I think like for me, I also like to see the science, like here are the facts, like for the majority of people in this study who did this, this was beneficial. Okay. So now we know that's clearly probably going to be helpful, but what aspect of that can you do? What little thing? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and so that's where we have now the facts. We have a formula in front of us. We know that this could be helpful, but then let's pick one thing or one tiny thing or like talk about it and how you can incorporate it, right? But I think we need more details and more information and more facts about our mental health in pregnancy and the postpartum, about our brain changes, everything. But if once we have that information, then we can choose how we're going to incorporate it into our lives mm-hmm. in little bits. Yeah. So. And if there's one thing that you guys take away from today, even if it's not a tangible thing that you go and do, let it be that these changes in our brain that are often framed in a negative way are so wonderfully there to serve us. And, you know, I think about and just get this visual of this circuitry, this network being built out specifically to care for and protect these little human beings. And like that is just the most fascinating, like give me goosebumpy type of thing that happens in our brain to care for these littles. And yes, you know, there's an adjustment and we have different and new ways that we need to learn to care for ourselves and our brain. But it's because it's doing such amazing work that we need to learn to care for it differently. So let that be our reframe for today and think about a practical way that you can try to care for your brain differently, whatever that looks like for you today, uh, wherever you're at in motherhood. So thank you so much, Dr. Jody. Where can people find you? Where can they learn from you, connect with you? Yeah. So thank you. And I think you summed it up perfectly. So thank you for that. So um, in terms of finding me, I have a website, jodypaluski.com for more information about me. I'm on Instagram with my podcast and I post information about the brain. So my podcast is Mommy Brain Revisited on Instagram. It's at mommybrain.revisited. And I post a lot of information about brain and parenting on there. And I'm on Twitter as well, Jody Paluski. That's it. That's me. Amazing. And we'll make sure so. to link all of those things in the show notes. This episode also, for those who are listening who may not know, episodes have all been now turned into blog posts starting two or three episodes ago. By the time you're listening to this, it might be like seven or eight episodes ago. So make sure you click through to the show notes because this is also turned into a blog that articulates some of the same information that we discussed today. You can share that with friends and distribute that information in that way as well. So click through to the show notes and thank you again, Dr. Jody, for your time. Thank you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co 
slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.